Hello, beauty babes. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Center Stage Beauty Podcast. If you haven't already, please like, share, and subscribe. On today's episode, I will be highlighting my entry into theater and IATSE 798. Today's show is highly requested due to the feedback I received on social media. Before I delve in, please take some time to glance over to my bio and alumni highlight, which is in my link tree in my bio. With further ado, let's begin. After I completed my ReWorks job training program, which is called IATSE Entertainment Industry Hairstylist Program with Local 798, I tenaciously worked with David Brian Brown, who is my mentor. Now, David is a wig designer on Broadway. He has a number of shows. Notably, he does Moulin Rouge. He has Frozen um, as well, which is a Disney production on Broadway. Um, He also has Come From Away, just a number of wonderful shows that he has designed for. And he's my mentor. Although I'm a licensed cosmetologist, the program and my mentor assisted me in perfecting my ventilating and hair design skills. Along with working with David one-on-one at his studio, um, as far as learning the basics of building, ventilating, wig placement, pinning, and overall hair design period styling, David expressed to me an opportunity to submit my resume and interview with one of his colleagues by the name of Cheryl V. Thomas. I ended up getting a great opportunity at the time to swing on Aladdin on Broadway in May of 2022. Although this was my first time working on Broadway, I seeked many opportunities working with off-Broadway productions. One in particular is Lanaz de Figaro, which is an opera that I worked on at the Manhattan School of Performing Arts Graduate Opera Theater. While I was there, I worked on a period here and a wig stylist by the name of Bobby Slotnick. Working at Aladdin was one of the biggest learning curves in my entire career. And looking back, it was one of the most, it is still one of the most fulfilling roles that I've ever done in my entire career. On Aladdin, and I want you viewers to take this in, on Aladdin, I have my own track. You work on a number of different tracks as a hair and makeup stylist. On my track, which is six to seven pages long, it comprises of working with mostly the female ensemble. An ensemble is a unified effect achieved by all of the cast members working together on behalf of the play or the musical. A track is a term which encompasses all characters, lines, blocking, dance choreography, prop placement, and all of the backstage traffic that the ensemblist must memorize and execute. So when you say you're running a hair track, that means you're running all of the hair choreography for that particular track that you're doing. And you have to execute it with grace, style, and precision under pressure. So after swinging for about six weeks, I was awarded a full-time opportunity at Aladdin in the hair and makeup department. This was one of the many highlights of 2022. Now, working in theater 
is wonderful and it's great. I have my own track, but also too, what's important for, I think all of my viewers and everyone to know that the more you know in general is better. And although I have my own track, I am multi-track faceted. I know and I have ran three other tracks. One of those tracks is a principal track for Jasmine. And that was one of the most pressure filled because it's when you run principal tracks, that pressure of perfection and being that professional and just being able to execute because now you're working with the leads and the stars of the show. But it was just a great lesson learning the overall styling what the expectations are, and all those little tips and tricks of becoming the best. And if you're not there, what you need to do to get there in order to work with a principal actor or an actress. Being a hair and makeup artist isn't my only job at Disney's Aladdin. I currently fill the role of EDI ambassador. EDI stands for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusivity. The reason I took the mantle of this opportunity is because I've always been a supporter of opportunities for underrepresented backgrounds. I enjoy activities that include helping people, teaching, managing, talking. I've been told by my peers that I'm a great problem solver and I'm a solutions-based individual. In addition, I also believe in the importance of advocating for yourself, especially in today's climate. As of January 2023, I became an EATC Local 798 member, and this is a profounding, touching moment for me thus far. All right, Kelly, I'm sure a lot of your listeners would like to know, especially those who are students. What was your navigation like right after you graduated from beauty school? What resources did you use to take your next steps? So right after I graduated beauty school, what was in my mindset? I had a very strong makeup background, even in Trinidad from back home. And I wanted, like my goal was just to take if okay, if you tell me I will be sitting in this chair at this moment right now, working in theater, theater, I would never. I, I would be like, I don't think that's me. But I believe roads you take, certain roads you take, can make your career stagnant, or they can make your career larger than life, right? But right after beauty school. I still stayed within the makeup and skincare realm. And then I found an opportunity within spa and skincare. And, you know, working with hair and spa salon, but more on the corporate end. So I saw my career at that time more so going into the corporate chain and you know, becoming like a corporate manager or an ex- or having an executive role, going into teaching and education, um, because I, I really worked tandemly with different departments, meaning that I did, I worked with the head of estheticians, head of guest service relations, head of salon, 
retail, massage, nail techs. These are all departments that I ran. Then after some time, COVID happened. Everything came to a halt. I was, you know, and I looked back and I said, okay, Kelly, you are a licensed cosmetologist. You can do hair, you can do makeup. What are the next steps? What what do you really want to do with your career? And COVID having, you know, when COVID happened, it made me sit back and think, okay, what's the next step? Everywhere is closed. You know, no one's going to work. A lot of businesses aren't making money. The spa and salon arena is completely dissolved now. What are your next steps? Are we going to use your talents for something great? Are you going to continue being creative? So I started at home just working with my mannequins, doing a couple of, um, you know, just getting back in tune with hair, just being able to touch hair and just, you know, just having a moment of feeling what the possibilities can be if I were to jump back into hair. Because when COVID happened, I'm just like, you know, everyone has bills to pay. Everyone has things to do. So I ordered a bunch of mannequins. And I was just like, okay, let me just get back into the swing of things. I've thought, I, I taught a number of classes. Let me teach myself. And that's what I was doing for most of COVID, just doing a number of hair designs, working on my portfolio, just working on different things creatively. And I just found a peace and an appreciation like for the arts and just, you know, just taking management out of it and just being a student and just, you know, teaching myself and learning and just having fun and being open, wild and free and expressing myself through art. Apart from that, I kept very good relations with my beauty school. And one of the um, administrators from Empire reached out to me and said, hey, there's an opportunity. I think you'll be great for it. I applied. And again, me getting into retraining myself and my mind artistically, getting my hands wet, you know, taking the role of now a stylist and being able to create something beautiful played an intricate part now in the program that I was in to get into hair and makeup in theater and film and TV. You mentioned during the pandemic, you ordered mannequins to practice hairstyling by yourself. How important would you say self-teaching and self-practicing is in terms of hair and makeup or any creative works? It's highly important, um, especially you're going into a competitive field, right? And you're going to be judged based on performance. You know, if we're talking about in terms of makeup, how well you're, you're able to perform under pressure and execute the desired looks, how good you are, you know, seeing something that's like, this is the reference look that's posted on a mirror. And I want you to create this on this actor. It's very important. And when you go into film and TV, you have to execute it efficiently, effectively, and it needs to be in rotation. You have 12 people and they all need to have a 50s look. It's important. Practice and repetitive work is going to make you better and better and better every single time. When I started, you know, self-teaching myself, like, okay, you know, let's take this to the next level. I ordered books for myself. Like I was like, okay, you know, let me see what 
period here is looking like. Let me do some finger raise. Let me do 1920s. Let me do 1930s. I'm just thinking, okay, if I had a bride that came in, that walked into the salon and said, oh, I want a 1960s look, or I want something straight out of the Renaissance, how am I going to replicate that look? And I think me just really going into that student mindset and just practicing and just having fun and just creating like a safe space for learning helped me become a great hairstylist in general because it prepped my mind, it prepped my fingers, it prepped just my talent to take it to the next level. And then when I was accepted into the program, the IATSE Entertainment Industry Hairstylist Training Program with Local 798. You know, I was already making connections on Broadway already while in the program because it's something where I really wanted to be in. I had the years of experience in hair and makeup, but I didn't have as much years as some of the other stylists. So I'm just like, okay, we need to do some homework and we need to become, we need to get better and better every day. So I thought to be upset, thought to be seen like 10, 15 mannequins on the floor. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? She's like, oh, well, we're doing extensions today. We're doing some 50s look. We're going to do a little 80s in here. And we had to get storage, Todd. Because it was so much. It's like mannequin heads everywhere. Like 20 mannequin heads everywhere. I'm totally like, I don't like how this thing is looking at me. <laughs> so, so we had to get storage. But that's the type of level and game plan that you have to be on. If you know you want to be the best and you want to be in those circles, then you really have to practice your craft. And that's really it. You really have to practice your craft. You have to surround yourself with like-minded people that are for you and that sees that light in you and wants the best for you, both professionally and personally. And practice. Practice and learning is endless. You never stop learning and that's the mindset you have to carry forever. When I was a student, I always had the mindset that I wanted to learn without any expectations. I wanted to be in certain rooms without any expectations, meaning that there wasn't a paycheck attached to it, right? And even with, you know, working at certain wig studios, you know, I didn't necessarily went in there for a paycheck. I, I went just to learn the ropes, how to ventilate, how to build a wig. And just being in those particular spaces are very important because those are the key folks that are on Broadway, that are doing theater, that are doing film. And those are the rooms that I need to be in. And when people see that someone is driven and they want to learn without a dollar sign attached to it, they appreciate that that you're driven without any sort of expectation. And as a student, I think that your work ethic says a lot in the very early stages because it's going to showcase what you can become and what your expectations are like in your adult life and what's important to you. If learning is important to you and being in those spaces are important to you, then you shouldn't look at a dollar sign. 
You know, you should want to do things just to know, to have the knowledge to execute. And then those avenues and those doors will open. But you have to put in the work. You, you really do have to put in the work first. And then those doors are going to be open for you. Um, but work ethic absolutely comes in first. And, you know, just constant learning. What would you say was the most hardest thing you had to face in your journey? The hardest thing I had to face, I would say fear. Fear and just people's interpretation of if I'm doing a good job or not. You know, because sometimes when something is so new to you, it's it's almost, it's it's very frightful. When something is just so new and you're wondering, oh my gosh, am I doing a good job? And that doubt gets into your mind. It almost holds you and you freeze up and anxiety kicks in, you know, and it's all those components, but fear, knowing, not knowing what to expect and just having that pressure, but good pressure, pressure to perform and execute a track or whatever job that you're doing. I think that's always, that was the most challenging part for me and working with, you know, actors and, you know, having, being entrusted with a principal track and, you know, just working on Broadway, you know, it's, it's pressure filled, but once you get it, you're golden. And that's anything in life. When something's very new to you, you know, it's just that fear of, or that intimidation, like, oh my gosh, this isn't, I, I could never get to hear what you can. When I was on Broadway, my supervisor, Cheryl, suggested like, you know, break it down to cue cards. Let it work for you, right? I broke down the track into cue cards. And, you know, every day I looked at it, I said, like, okay, this is not working. I took out things and I was just like, okay, I need to be accurate. I need to be precise. And this track needs to flow and be as smooth as butter. What can I do? So I took out all of my pre-show styling out of the track entirely. And that was something that I memorized to a T. And running the track was just in the cue cards. Now I work in numbers. Anything that's number-based, I remember. And I use acronyms. And just like in theater, you have to know what's, you know, stage left, stage right, upstage left, upstage right, you know, just different terms. So I just use acronyms. And I broke down my track into 10 cue cards. Five cue cards for act one and five cue cards for act two. I just have like a number system where I learn, you know, all my styling is done in threes. Like for a particular style, I'll do like three back combing, three this, three pink rolls, three and everything. And so I just found this science, which is really cool. And I think about it now of how I run and teach my track, which is, you know, it tells a lot when I'm training someone and they're like, oh, wow, this is like this is some good stuff right here. As we go back to the, the science of my track and how I broke it down, um, again, people that's in your circle that are for you will help you. And, you know, learning my track was like a family project. Todd, my husband, co-founder of Center Stage Beauty Podcast, helped me, you know, like, okay, I remember when we were driving to Times Square, 
he sh- we were just like, okay, Kelly, I, there was like a certain change, like a certain hat, turban change that I had to do it was really tricky and it's very intricate. Todd was asking me, okay, so after this, what do you do next? And I'm, and I'm talking through the change with him. So it's like, you know, those little small sprinkles of steps helped me know the track because now I could do it in my sleep because I have now written it. I spoke it through and it's it's repetitive if you think about it every time. Those are things you f- you find along your road. And you're not always going to be perfect, but you can come damn close. Another question I would like to ask yeah. is that when you get an art block or just situations where you feel like your brain is no longer working, what are some ways you try to cope with those situations? Or is there anything you would like to suggest to try to cope with those situations? That's a great question. Because as creatives, we think a lot with our brain. We think a lot. Our mind is constantly going. And we have to really take time for our mental health. Because if we're talking, you know, roadblocks, roadblock, anxiety, depression, expectations, life, thesis, exams, all of these things come into play. But I always believe that a great artist takes a step back, you know, looks at their canvas overall. For me, meditation helps. Read, really just taking deep breaths in, out, meditating, and just focusing on something that's not art, that's not artsy. Or fitness, working out, exercise, you get a major endorphin release and it opens your mind more. Self-care, take a nice bath with some bubbles and some champagne. (laughs) Going for a massage, getting your nails done, your feet done, you know, stuff that's really taking care of you. And I always believe if you do something good, nourishing for yourself on the outside, you're going to be feel a little better on the inside. So, you know, it's taking a step back. Not for too long, though. Taking a step back and just looking at your overall canvas and, you know, falling back in love with whatever project you're doing. But taking those little breaks in between and just rethinking where you want to go and just taking those little helpful tips. So you talked about having fear and anxieties. Yeah. Especially during the early stages of careers. A lot of students or recent graduates who are getting into new jobs deal with those anxieties. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of us would agree that we can get the most anxious when reaching out to others, either for a recommendation or just to talk in terms of getting assistance in our career. Do you have any suggestions for those as to how they can reach out or what they can do to lower their anxiety? Yes. So now networking and talking and selling yourself, honey, is the way to make it in any industry. For me, from a young age, I was, you know, Miss Teen Trinidad. And one of the things that my father, because I grew up with my dad, he told me that you're going to always have to sell sell yourself in terms of if you want to be larger than life and you want to be in the best, let them know you're the best. Walk in with confidence and own your excellence. You could sit and eat at any table. He always told me that, and I took that 
throughout my life and my adult life. Like you can, you know, Kelly, you can do this. What is in your mind could be a reality. And I took that. Now, networking is key in any industry, but you have to almost know what kind of works for you and very tactfully and strategically manipulate the situation or the connection that works for you. Meaning that if you are in a position where you would like to elevate in your career, whatever opportunities that you have, use that opportunity for leverage. Use that opportunity to get you where you need to be. And also too, if you are not the best public speaker, tag team with someone, tag team with someone that you know that's, you know, great at talking, but you also too, you can come in and say, hi, you know, I'm Kelly and very nice to meet you. I have a background in hair and makeup and I would love to be considered for this role. I enjoy doing this and doing that. And whoever you're going for, do your research on them. For instance, my mentor, David Brian Brown, he is not only a wig designer, but I look at him as an entrepreneur. He's an entrepreneur, he's a business owner, he's into fitness, he takes very good care of his skin. These are all of the things that I look for. And find something about them personally and a little bit and professionally that you can tie yourself into and make that a conversation and a connection where they remember you for something. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, for instance, um, oh Kelly, I remember her, yes. Oh yeah, she's into health and wellness. She told me about this great salmon and collard greens recipe that I should try and I should add to I should add to my meal plan. And that's a door. So I believe that you always have to create your doors. But always think strategically how I'm gonna create that, those doors and just, you know, tie in a little bit about you and a little bit about them, but do your research. It's also great, I think, when you're, you know, seeking people out or if you're there's an executive that you admire that you know you would like to sit at their table and show them your project or just to make a connection. It's always great to ask questions. And I remember as a student, I asked so much questions that, you know, every, and not everyone is going to be like, oh my gosh, she's asking so many questions. You can't think about that. You got to think about what your moves are and where you would like to be in life. You know, people appreciate questions. People appreciate questions that you want to know, that you're eager and you're hungry and you're driven. That is so impactful. And anyone would appreciate anyone that, that, you know, any student has a number, the questions. Question means that your mind is thinking. And we like thinkers. You know what I mean? Your mind is thinking, you want to know. And I feel a lot of the times students you know, feel somewhat like ashamed if they're asking too many questions. But no question is foolish. And ask your questions because those questions are going to get you in those rooms and those faces and those connections that you need to see and be in. Going back to, you know, you're asking a lot of questions. You may seem as the odd one in the room because you're asking those questions. And I remember for many years, I felt like odd you know, because I've asked those questions and, you know, I'm, I'm just very consistent. And if 
I want something, I'm consistently at it. And I believe and I, I carry myself with excellence and passion behind anything that I'm doing. But it's that feeling of being the odd one in the room. And I think that a lot of students feel like if I ask so much or I may be just odd and it may come off a certain type of way, but it's imperative to not care what anyone thinks because people who may not want to be your friends now because you're considered odd or you're brown nosing or you're asking so much questions. If you consider me doing the most, then you're not doing enough. If I'm doing the most, you're clearly not doing enough. And I guarantee you, five to 10 years after you've asked all those questions, they will definitely want to be in the circles that you're in. I have seen it happen so many times. And it's okay to be odd and different. It's fine because you have a mission, you have a goal, and you know where you want to be. And it's important to surround yourself with like-minded individuals that's like you. And in that moment, they may not be on your spectrum. And that's okay. And that's fine. But you have to think about what's right for you and where you're going and what road you need to be on. So if they want to be on this road, Kelly's going to be on this road. And then navigating your life from there. And it's okay to be odd. Odd means you're special. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please follow us on TikTok, Instagram at Center Stage Beauty Podcast. Finally, please like, share, comment, and subscribe to today's podcast on Apple, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and YouTube. Episodes drop every two weeks. Ta-ta! See you next time.